Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. A quick reminder before we get started, any advice provided by Brandon is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives, so consider whether it's appropriate for you. Brandon Vanderkolk is authorized to provide general financial product advice in Australia and is authorized representative number 130795 of Guideway Financial Services Proprietary Limited. AFSL number 420367. Please see the description box for Brandon's financial services guide. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future investment returns. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to yet another episode. Hamish, how you doing, mate? Hello, hello, hello. I'm doing well. Yeah, much better than uh, last week. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. How you doing? Wait, you're feeling, you're feeling good? Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling better. I know. So I wow. know. Shocker, right? Yeah. We're just gonna. <laughs> yeah. We'll just take this week and appreciate it. <laughs> and, yeah, actually, um, we'll, we'll see if it if it uh, follows through into next week. <laughs> <laughs> I am glad you're feeling better. I'm. I'm definitely glad you're yeah, feeling me better. Too. What me you been too. up to? Uh, not much. Just getting back in the video. It's. It's as I said last week. Just so good to just be back, like doing stuff. So put out a video mm. earlier in the week and uh, got nice. a couple others uh, cooking. That's the thing. It's like I couldn't post content while I was sick but I had a lot of ideas come up and I've got like a lot of like the bones of videos that I'm going to be mm. making over the next few weeks. So it's kind of been nice in a way because I've got all these like ideas and things that I can do. It's like, I'm yeah. not really starved too much for ideas, although there's nothing kind of major going on in finance mm. at the moment, but um, kind of scrapping together what you can. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of just plodding along, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, not not a lot's going on. Although there there has been some stuff uh, over the past week or so, which we will get to. Yes. Um, you're what, uh, what are you? Are sorry, you, what? You're doing some kind of uh, speaking event coming up, aren't you? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, that's that's. Uh, I got invited to um to go onto a panel um and speak at South by Southwest. So th- this is a a thing that I think originates in Texas. And mm. they're bringing it to Sydney, so this is the first time it's uh, it's happening in Sydney. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate that I get to uh, to join a panel and be a speaker at uh, South by Southwest. Yeah, I can tell you guys because I don't know the exact details. So I will be on stage on Friday, the twentieth of October at twelve thirty p.m. Mm. Um, and it's uh, at the convention center in Sydney, and it's room E three dot nine. And you're announcing your what... new um, NFT project, right? Is that that's what it Correct. is? Correct. Right? Yeah. It's <laughs> it's look. It's essentially a sales pitch for for a, I, what I've done is I've drawn, I've opened up Photoshop, and I've got Claude and the boys to each come up with a different design of a monkey, and yeah. uh, I'm I'm going to be right. selling those uh, selling the monkeys. Um, wow. As NFTs. Yeah. Very yeah, yeah. original. So, yeah. Hasn't been done yeah, before. I, so. I know. I don't, I don't think anyone's done that before. So no. you should um, like connect it to some kind of club. Like, you know, so when you get the NFT, you can like attend like a bunch of like events, maybe like yacht mm. clubs. That could, some, some, I don't know. I'm just that's a good idea. So. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a very good idea, Hamish. So yeah, um, obviously I'm uh, a revolutionary in the field of NFTs. So if you want to, uh, <laughs> if you want to come listen to my listen to my lecture, no, but actually uh, we're talking about uh, business building and uh, retire, working towards early retirement in mm. a challenging uh, 
environment, basically. So yeah. that's what we're going to be talking Interesting. about. Interesting. Um, which should be cool. But yeah, super mm. excited to, to get the opportunity. Um, I don't know too much about South by Southwest, but hoping it'll be cool. I think uh, it's all up in the air because it's the first time it's done in Sydney. But yeah, should be fun, I think. Mm. Yeah, maybe I'll fly we'll up. We'll see. Maybe I'll come. Maybe yeah. I'll sit in the audience. Is, is there a Q&A? Can I... Can I- Raise my hand. Yeah, and put your hand up. Mr. Oi. Mr. Vanderkolk. <laughs> Mr. Vanderkolk. I have a question. Yeah, just yeah. throw you some absolute curveball. Absolute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like get into the, the absolute depths and the weeds of some financial statement. Yeah, and just yeah. be like, so Brandon, <laughs> what do you think? Should I buy X, Y, Z stock? Yeah. Anyway, what are we talking about today, Hamish? What are we talking about? Um, yeah, there's been a few interesting kind of developments over the past week. We've, uh, Mr. Bill Ackman uh, is back in the news because he has a new investment product for us. He's always cooking up something special. <laughs> he is, so, uh, <laughs> he's, he's always looking for some way, some, some way to, to scam his investment. No, not to scam his investment. He's got a new investment <laughs> product for us that we'll talk about. Um, Sam Bankman-Fried's uh, trial began a couple of days ago, so I'll, I'll kind of talk through maybe some of the things. Talking about scamming uh, investors? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all it's all scammers. Um, ones that haven't gone to jail yet, some that are on trial. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's uh, not a scam, okay? He's, he's not a scam. I don't know why I made that. He, he, has, he does have a bit of a... He has a funky track he, record. Let's he does have way. an interesting track record, but uh, he he doesn't. Yeah, uh, we won't say anything. No. All right. Um, what, and then what, what am I am talking? I'm talking about um, Birkenstock. They are the latest uh, the latest member of the IPO club. Oh so wow! We'll talk. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about Birkenstock. And uh, Tesla announced their vehicle deliveries. That's a quick one. And also Meta are thinking about offering a subscription service, not the blue check mark. Oh. We're going one step further. Wow. We're going one step further. So Eight we'll talk five. about that in a little bit. Cool. Well, with that said, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Seeking Alpha, your one-stop shop for stock analysis, market data, and news, access, access expert analysis, and news for thousands of stocks. Uh, if you buy, hold, and sell ratings from members, Wall Street analysts and Seeking Alpha's own algorithm, screen for stocks using a variety of fundamental and technical analysis metrics, access 10 years of financial data and company filings, and manage your portfolio by tracking your investments with price alerts so you never miss a buying opportunity. Again, click the link in the episode description or head directly to seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors. That's seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors to try Seeking Alpha free. Uh, for seven days, I believe, is the free trial at the moment, but you also get that $50 off coupon, uh, which is available for a limited time. So go check it out if you haven't already. And thanks, as always, to those who uh, use our links when signing up uh, to, 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 to Seeking Alpha and are supporting uh, what we do here on the podcast. Mm, <clears throat> definitely. All right, Hamish Honor. Let's... Um... Do you want to? Where do you want to start? Yeah, I don't know. Where should we? Where should we begin? Uh, take us through this IPO, actually, um, because uh, okay, we, yeah, we've, sure. We've spent it's a kind bit of interesting. Time, yeah, we spent a bit of time talking about IPOs recently because it really has just gone from no IPOs to all of a sudden, like some quite interesting companies have just just all of a sudden gone to the market. It was it Instacart? I think we spoke about, and yeah, there was a couple others. Um, getting about um, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's been quite interesting. It certainly is not as dead as what it was a couple of years back or a year or so ago. Yeah. Um, so, yes, things are starting to pick back up. Um, and the next company to join the club is Birkenstock. Do you mm. own a pair of Birkenstocks, Hamish? I do not. I haven't been sucked into the hype. I know a lot of my no. friends that have them. Uh, I don't get the craze. I 
No, I haven't. I haven't been. I haven't been sold that one because I think they're pretty expensive, mm. right? Aren't they like two hundred dollars? They're pretty expensive. Yeah, I'm not so, actually sure. I think they have a know. range of products, um, and it depends on kind of what uh, price scale you're at. But yeah, um, I too have not been sucked into the Birkenstock craze. I actually just don't like how they look. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a big fan. I don't think they'd look good. I'm on not me. a. I'm not a sandals person. Must be said. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm I, a closed toe shoe kind of guy. Yeah, I also haven't bought shoes in a long time. I have a black pair of con- high top Converse's, and mm. before that pair, I had a, a black pair of high top Converse's that broke. <laughs> so I replaced them with a new pair of high top black Converse's. <laughs> yep, I think they're the only. They're probably the only shoes I've ever seen you wear. What are your other <laughs> shoes? Um, I have some run. Actually, no, that's actually not true. I bought some um, Brooks running shoes a couple oh, of years ago. Yeah, yeah. So put, I put some money in uh, Mr. Warren Buffett's pocket. They they own Brooks, yep. I, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's pretty much it. I don't think I. And I have some. I have some thongs. That's it. <laughs> that's right. It. There you go. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure every time I've hung out with you, you're wearing your black Converse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a bit of a trend here. I, I'm not super fashion. <laughs> yeah. no, one pair of shoes. One pair of shoes. You're just. 20 navy yeah. navy t-shirts navy tees you're just going the steve jobs approach you've got your look I just you know don't care. you know your look yeah. you're confident in your look why change it yeah i just don't care like i think obviously i get it <laughs> like like if if you cared about it then yeah i understand you want to have like all different clothes and stuff i just i've just given up a while ago yeah. i just gave up i was like i don't i don't care <laughs> you found something that works and you're sticking with it yeah I like it, Hamish. It's a good strategy. All right. Birkenstock IPO. Birkenstock, the German premium footwear brand backed by private equity firm L. Catterton, has targeted a fully diluted valuation of about $10 billion in its highly anticipated US initial public offering. Mm. L. Catterton? Is that how you say? L. Catterton. Catterton. Yeah, I guess so. Um, the company plans to sell at least 32 million shares, likely to be priced between $44 and $49 a piece, and raise about $1.58 billion at the top end, as per a filing with the US Securities and Exchange Commission on Monday. L. Catterton will own roughly 80, uh, a roughly 83% stake uh, in the company after the offering. Birkenstock intends to use the proceeds of the IPO to pay down debt. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah well, why not? I mean, sure. <laughs> uh, I actually checked. Uh, as of September 2022, they had short-term debt of 46.6 million euros and long-term debt of 1.9 billion euros. Mm. Um, and they had a net profit of 187 million <clears throat> euros and uh, free cash flow of 163 million euros. So, I don't right. know. What do, you, what, do, you, do you have any thoughts on that? Fair enough that they want yeah, to raise enough. money I mean, to pay down debt? It, it, it is kind of unusual. Uh, usually companies don't go public with the intention of paying down debt. Usually it's because they've got some kind of particular growth aspiration. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually, uh, we'll talk about this with the Bill Ackman story, but I, um, in an interview was that he was actually talking about specifically how it is actually kind of rare that companies go public to pay down debt. And it actually can be quite difficult for them to do that because why do investors, what are investors kind of getting out of it? What are the specific kind of trajectory of the company? But um, yeah, interesting to see. I guess we'll wish them all the best. <laughs> Yeah, I'll I'll talk to you about why, because you're right. Normally, it's like the company has some sort of grand plan, right? And they mm. they want to try and raise a whole bunch of money to execute their grand plan. Birkenstock are a little bit more of the Ferrari strategy, which I'll talk mm. about in a minute. But anyway, I had a I had a read through, um, not an in depth read through because these 
documents are dense. Um, what's it called? Their F1 filing, I believe. E- S1, F1. S1. 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 Anyway. Um, I had a read of that and says, I I took out some interesting things because I honestly didn't really know much about Birkenstock. I know what the shape of the shoe is. I I, like, I get it, their sandals and stuff, but I didn't actually know that much or how they kind of see their business. Hmm. Um, so they noted how they started as comfort over style, but, um, recently have gained popularity amongst the fashion industry. Um, they offer unisex products across a broad range of prices from retail entry price of uh, 40 euros for their EVA or EVA styles to over uh, 1,600 euros for their high-end collaborations. Uh, In a recent consumer survey, approximately 70% of Birkenstock US customers indicated they had purchased at least two pairs pairs of Birkenstocks, with the average Birkenstock US consumer owning 3.6 pairs today. How crazy is that? That's actually... I, I, yeah, I, I really didn't know that were that popular. That's, that's crazy. Wow. Mm, not not the average US consumer, the average Birkenstock owner. Yeah. Oh, true, um, true. But even still, that's kind of crazy even that still, you would even know. <laughs> that's brand that's loyalty. my mind. 3.6 pairs. Of, I don't think I have 3.3 or 4 pairs of shoes. I definitely don't have 3.6. That would be weird. <laughs> I have exactly 3.6 pairs of shoes. No, I definitely don't have three or four. Uh, I don't know. Do I have three or four? Yeah. Maybe I do. I don't know. If, if you count the one that Lucy's hacked in half. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, So there you go. In that same consumer survey, nearly 90% of recent purchases indicated a desire to purchase again, and over 40% of consumers indicated they did not even consider another brand when purchasing their last Birkenstock. Wow. How interesting is that? So so there is a bit of a a brand forming. There's a bit of a a loyalty, I guess, amongst Birkenstock Mm. customers. Um, And now over the last few years... Their popularity uh, has also grown in that fashion world. They're no longer just like the comfort over style kind of brand. The, the comfort over style trend is now quite fashionable yeah. and people are kind of jumping on board, um, mm. as we've seen. Um, in terms of some of their statistics, uh, they've grown revenue from 292 million euros in 2014 to 1.2 billion euros in 2022. So they're tracking at a 20% compound annual growth rate for their revenue uh, since 2014. More recently, they've grown revenue from 728 million uh, euros in 2020 to 962 million in 2021 to 1.2 billion in 2022. So they got a 31% compound annual growth rate over the last two years. So things things are growing. Things are growing, which right, is good right. to see. Yeah. Um, and adjusted profit has grown from 400 million in 2020 to 774 million euros in 2022. So things are you know wow. plugging along. They're growing. Yeah. They're doing they're doing a good thing. Mm. Um, and they do make money, which is which is a, a, a good thing as well. So <laughs> yeah. well done. Um, but this is the interesting thing, how we're talking about before, usually a company will do this big IPO for some sort of grand growth initiative. Mm. Um, Birkenstock are talking while I was reading in their S1 that um, they actually adopt, like I said, more of the Ferrari strategy. And for those that don't know, the Ferrari strategy is to raise prices, but not, if you can, not really release that much more product year after year. Mm. Um, so it's more about the exclusivity. It's a more of a, 
luxury kind of uh, business model, a luxury brand business model. So Mm. they say, we allocate our finite production capacity globally, creating scarcity in the market and facilitating strong control over our brand, as well as predictable, consistent growth. Our strongest, most developed regions are the Americas and Europe, which represented uh, 54 and 36% of revenues in fiscal 2022, respectively. So I wanted to just note down a couple more stats that I was reading out of the out of the um, uh, filing just to yeah. kind of give you a, a more of a statistical understanding mm-hmm. of how they run their business. So they've got this two-year revenue compound annual growth rate of 31%. So top line growing at 31% over the last couple of years, <clears throat> 31% annually. <clears throat> their average selling price has been increasing at 16% annually between 2020 and 2022. Yeah. However, so 16% increase in price, uh, 31% increase in revenue. The number of units sold has uh, only increased uh, 12% annually right. between fiscal 2020 and fiscal 2022. So the, the, the lowest growth has actually just been in the amount of shoes that they're selling. Yeah. So they're controlling that and creating that more scarcity factor. Um, and they note that their gross profit margin has expanded from 55% in fiscal 2022, now 60% in fiscal 2022. Net profit increasing from 101.3 million euros uh, in 2020 to 187.1 million euros in 2022. So if, if you kind of just lay out those, those numbers, it, it does seem like a business that is trying to develop a, a more of a brand <clears throat> moat than anything else. Yeah. Um, mm. what, what's your kind of take on it? Yeah. I mean, you can definitely see that. I'd love to compare their gross margin to maybe similar competitors because 55, 60%. Oh, I should have I'm done sure that. That would have been good. Is, um, I, I would imagine it's quite considerably higher than probably some of the, I can't even think of a single competitor, a direct competitor. Maybe there's some big brands that do a bunch of like different footwear brands like Nike and stuff. Y- but yeah. I, I can't think of direct an competitor. Product. Yeah. Um, but yeah. 55-60% gross margins is pretty considerable. So um, yeah, if they're able to kind of maintain that consistently and competitors are at more like 30% or, or 40%, then then yeah, that's an indication obviously that their brand is is able to dictate um, you know, much higher prices. Um, so mm. yeah, it's interesting to see. It is interesting. We've got um, as you said before, I just noted down a couple of stats about their customers to kind of to see where they're selling. Hmm. Um, we've got America 54%, Europe 36%, uh, Asia Pacific, Middle East Africa. Um, what's that? So, such a bad, is it 10%? Yeah, 10%. Yeah. Um, this, this is a click. Can you see this chart? This is straight out of their S1 and it's literally in that quality in their filing. <laughs> It's literally uh, yeah. in that quality. Classic. I'm having to squint to see the numbers. Uh, it's all pixelated. Uh, gender. Gender. Um, they say they're unisex products, but definitely more females than males. There's 72% female to 28% male. Yeah. Um, and age. Age. Who's wearing them? What age bracket is wearing them? Well, mm. we have the highest percentage, which is, I'm squinting again. Baby boomers, no, millennials, sorry, millennials at 31%, baby boomers at 30%, and then Gen X at 27%, and Gen Z at 12%. So there you go. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, that that is yeah. a funny point though. Like, why why are investor presentations and filings why are all the graphics so poor like quality? 
Like, who's putting <laughs> yeah. this together? Like, like it's, it's almost harder to have a poor quality graphic than just a normal one. Like, where are you copying this from? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like you're taking like a screenshot of like a screenshot of a screenshot of a screenshot and then putting it in the filing. <laughs> like, what? Like, just get the original. <laughs> Save the original. Anyway, so true. I do apologize for my kind of a, <laughs> my kind of lack of clarity in there because I'm I'm actually having to squint a little bit at some of these numbers just to see. Like baby yeah. boomers, I was trying to see if that was 30% or 38%, but I literally can't quite tell. There's literally no uh, point of us even showing you this graphic because it's so bad. No, like, it's so hard to read. <laughs> but I think anyway. I got the statistics yeah. across. Anyway, so so what was uh, the biggest category there? B- uh, b- baby boomers is the biggest category. Oh, millennials. Millennials, millennials and, Mille- and, uh, and baby boomers pretty yeah. much the same. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess yeah. that's probably what I would have guessed. Um, yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, all right. So another thing I was interested in is uh, is how do they think that they will grow? Because obviously mm. they talk about everything in this filing. So they say the global footwear industry is a large and fragmented market. Uh, according to Euromonitor, it was estimated to generate approximately 340 billion euros in retail sales in 2022, with the top five brands accounting for 20% of the overall footwear market. So yeah, it's, it's not like the cruise line industry where the top four players, you know, take up 90 something percent of the, of the market. It's, it's a lot more fragmented. <clears throat> yeah. On average, the global footwear market is projected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of 5.1% over the next five years, reaching approximately 440 billion euros in sales by 2027. Based on our current market penetration of less than 1%, we believe there is ample uh, white space to continue growing the Birkenstock brand. We expect to capture the uh, market share globally, particularly in Asia-Pacific, which is expected to be one of the fastest growing regions in the world at a compound annual growth rate of 5.9% between 2022 and 2027 and where we are meaningfully underpenetrated. So there you go. Yeah. It's so, it's so funny. Like this is one of the things I dislike about IPOs is like they're all so salesy and there's like some information that they'll include that's kind of like irrelevant. Like for them to like, that's kind of irrelevant. Like for them to talk about like, the whole footwear market is, is kind of irrelevant because they make like a specific type of shoe that probably fits like a pretty fairly Mm. niche part of the market. Like they're not going to, someone who's looking to buy running shoes, isn't going to be like, you know what, maybe, (laughs) maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get some sandals, you know? So like the, so the size of the whole, like, but so the size of the whole industry is kind of irrelevant because there's, there's big, like there's big segments of that industry that they will never get those customers because those yeah. customers are looking for something else. So it's kind of, um, and you kind of get this in IPO, like you tend to get this with these prospectors. It's like they're, they're trying to like paint the broadest picture of the most optimistic, the most optimistic yeah. picture they possibly can, like 340 billion euro market. It's like, yeah, but what's the market for your particular customer, basically? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, and, and they probably don't provide it because it, there probably isn't a lot of clarity. Like they're probably one of the market leaders. So they're kind of driving... <clears throat> that market and it's not super mm. clear uh, how big it is or how big it could be. There's probably a lot of people who've never considered buying sandals, but maybe now that Birkenstocks are making good sandals, they would consider buying them. So that market is probably or potentially expanding, but it's just, I always just find it funny. It's like, this is a classic, even on like, you'll get it on like shark tank and stuff. They'll be like, where, you know, if we just get 1% of this trillion dollar industry, we'll be worth this. It's like, yeah, but yeah. what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. 
what's your total addressable market? Well, it's 8.1 yeah. billion people and they've all yeah. got feet. Yeah, and they could each buy 30 pairs of shoes. So you do the maths. <laughs> you do the maths, yeah, so Mr. Cuban. <laughs> we could essentially be the largest company in the world, really, when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone needs shoes. Yeah, that, that, oh, that is a fact. That is a, that is a fact. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Anyway. That's uh, that's pretty much all I've got to talk about for Birkenstock. Okay. Um, let's see. Is there anything else that I was missing? Um, there's just a whole lot of jargon. Um, oh, yeah. The only other thing is that... Um, they they noted that last month Birkenstock said revenue jumped twenty one percent in the in the nine month period ended June thirty, showing uh, strength against against a difficult demand environment for luxury goods as inflation worry consumers temper their spending, but the brand has also found favor amongst fashion uh, fashion aficionados recently after one of its uh, brands was featured in Barbie, where the movie's lead <laughs> actress Margot Robbie was seen donning a pair of pink Birkenstock. Um, interesting. Uh, quote in this article from someone that I was speaking to, uh, which kind of hits the nail on the head. Fashionistas can be fickle, and while Birkenstock may be basking in rays of popularity right now, it's going to have to run fast to keep up in the stylish stakes. Counterfeit goods Mm. uh, could also cause the company to lose its footing in the fast-moving fashion environment. But it's so true. Like, there are some fashion brands which truly have a brand mode. Yeah, because they've just been around for decades, if not like some of them hundreds of years. Yeah, and they've never gone out of style. Um, but yep. yeah, you think about Crocs. You know, Crocs was has has gone through this crazy wave where it's it was actually a really super good popular. Example. Yeah, yeah, and then it was everybody thought they were disgusting, and now they're kind of like coming back again. Yeah. So they go through these waves. People, people but I, I wouldn't want to be invested in a company like that where it's like yeah. one day it could be super popular, the next it could be hated on, you know? Yeah, I think it's quite difficult to pick which company is going to maintain their brand over long mm. periods of time. It's a lot easier to just look back and go, oh, okay, that that brand of, of clothing or even like, like that brand of alcohol has been around for 100 years and it's still just punching sales out year after year after year. That's uh, yeah. a lot different than, you know, being in the first couple of years of the company and saying that's the one that's going to be here in a hundred years because most of them don't yeah. exist and we don't, I, I couldn't name them because, well, they don't exist. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. So yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's interesting, like this company itself has been around for a couple of hundred years. I think Birkenstock oh, wow, has been really? around for a couple of hundred years, but like they've only been popular for a few, you know? Right. That's so, crazy. I, that's actually insane. I did, I did not know that, but I guess it makes sense. Yeah. I guess people, yeah. Yeah. But it kind of adds to your point. This is a super old company, but it's only been around for like, uh, well, it's, it's only been popular for like the last couple of years. So. Mm, interesting. Yeah, interesting. All right, Hamish, well, that will wrap us up. Good luck to Birkenstock with their IPO. Uh, yeah, more information well, when they give us more details. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of uh, how companies go public, uh, Bill Ackman, as mm. I said, uh, has, a new, has a new IPO investment product for us. Um, which, uh, which, which we can talk about because, um, because we know, well, some of us know just, uh, how well his last, uh, his last big investment product <laughs> kind of went, but I'll, uh, I'll explain all anyway. Uh, but billionaire hedge fund, uh, manager, Bill Ackman announced a new investment product this week called a spark, a special purpose acquisition rights company. And if that sounds kind of familiar to you, then, uh, that's because it's supposed to be an improved version of a SPAC, which is a special purpose acquisition company. 
Um, and uh, yeah, it's supposed to be uh, this this new spark is supposed to be um, a, a better way for companies to to list their stocks publicly. So maybe I'll give a I'll give a bit of context of um, first of all how companies typically go public, and then what a spac is, and then how this spark that Bill Ackman has just created is is different, um, and kind of what it means. So. Uh, typically, if a company, a private company wants to raise capital, they'll do an IPO, like kind of with a Birkenstock we just kind of spoke about, um, an IPO being an initial public offering. And it's typically a pretty lengthy process. Um, they have to do a bunch of auditing. They have to register with the SEC, which can approve or deny them. They have to apply to a stock exchange to be listed, like the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. And they have to meet a bunch of requirements. And a lot of the time, they don't meet those requirements. So they'll fail and have to go back to the drawing board and do it again. Um, they need to send out a prospectus to potential investors to let them know about, um, uh, a little bit about the company to entice them to invest, which is what Brandon was just going through with, um, with, with Birkenstock, um, you know, growth pro- uh, prospects and that sort of thing. Um, they have to do, they have to get, uh, under, uh, underwritten by a, uh, a firm, um, like a bank, which basically sets the terms of the IPO, the price of the shares, the number of shares, and they take their kind of piece of the pie as well. Then the IPO occurs where some new investors will buy the stock directly from the company, which is called the primary markets. So it's just stock going from the company to the shareholders. Uh, And then finally, the stock will go public uh, and anyone can trade it, which is the secondary markets, the market that we all trade shares on. So it's typically a really lengthy process. It's very expensive. There's a lot of uncertainty about how much money they'll be able to raise um, and at what price the stock will list. We've, we've spoken about some of that uncertainty recently with like Instacart and their valuation, how it's just collapsed over the last few years. And, um, they've been trying to, you know, uh, get, get, get money, but what company wants to go through all of that? That's, that's boring, boring, boring. boring. Why do that when you could work with Bill Ackman, Woo. <laughs> you can, you can work with Bill. No. So starting in, um, in, in 2020 or 2021, we, we started to see this new method for companies to go public, which is called a SPAC. Uh, and SPACs have been around, I believe, since the 80s. They've technically been around, but they kind of only recently became really popular. Um, mm. it, was like, it was like around the pandemic um, that we, in, in, in 2021, when we kind of started to see um, the popularity rise. I'm trying to think of, I'll talk about Bill Ackman's one, but I'm trying to think if there was any others that I can remember specifically, but there was a bunch of them. Um, yeah, there was, there was a, a definite craze, definite craze. I can't remember like what the biggest ones were. Yeah. I, Cause I just, I, honestly, I, we just don't follow that kind of stuff. It's no. just not relevant to what we do for our investing. Like, no. There were probably some high profile companies. Maybe I'll look them up. Yeah. So anyway, what so what is a SPAC? Well, it stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company, and it's essentially a, a shell company whose entire purpose is to take a private company public. Um, so instead of the private company just going public and going through all of that uh, process that I kind of just spoke about, the SPAC itself, which is just an empty company, it's just a shell company, uh, does an IPO uh, itself. It raises some capital. Uh, and then essentially that SPAC is a publicly traded company that has a bank account with some money in it. And that's it. That's, it's literally just a, a company with a bank account uh, with some money in it, has no business operations. But then that company can just buy a private company. It can acquire or merge with a private company. And by doing that, it it takes that private company public without having to go through all of the 
uh, regulatory process. Um, it's the SPAC that, you know, the shell company that goes public and then just kind of buys, kind of just yoinks the, the private company into the public markets. Uh, and Bill Ackman made one of these SPACs uh, in 2021 called Pershing Square Tontine Holdings. I think we probably spoke about it on maybe mm. a couple of ep- episodes. Uh, so he made yeah. this back and raised uh, $4 billion for investors. And then he tried to find uh, a, a private company to buy for $4 billion or to buy some shares for $4 billion. Um, so basically the SPAC investors were just betting that Ackman could find a good deal. So if you, if you invested in the SPAC, you had no idea what stock there were or, or what company you were actually going to end up owning. It was kind of like, I like Bill Ackman. I trust his investing skills. I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll give him some money basically. And he's going to pick a company to, to, to find. Um, and there was a bunch of, and what I was trying to remember what, um, <clears throat> what companies were out there at the time that Bill Ackman was looking to potentially acquire. It wasn't like Airbnb one of them. Yeah. Am I, I think, crazy in thinking that. Yeah. There I was Airbnb, remember. which they, Airbnb, I think ended up going public themselves. I'm pretty sure they're public. Yeah. Now. But I think Airbnb was one of them. Stripe, <laughs> which is kind of a payment, online payment processor. Oh, that's they right. Were one. Yeah. Even yeah. Bloomberg was potentially a target. Um, oh. And then in the end, they actually did start to make moves on a deal with Universal Music Group, um, which uh, they actually, yeah. So they, they, they had kind of a deal on the table, but the deal ultimately fell through. Um, so in the end, the SPAC just, fa- it just failed. So the $4 billion was returned to investors. So investors didn't lose anything uh, unless you bought um, the, the Pershing Square Tontine Holdings shares on the public market, then potentially you lost. But the original investors got all of their money back. But it was mm. a bit of a failure. Nothing really came of it. Um, and then everything was kind of quiet for a while until this week where Bill is back <laughs> and he's got a new product. <laughs> That's nice. called a Spark. <laughs> get around the Spark. No, 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 no. It's not a Spark. It's no, no, no. No, don't, the fail, don't forget, forget about the failure. No, no, no. Yeah, he did, he did an interview on CNBC. And that's exactly how it started because the interviewer was like, SPACs have kind of got a bad reputation for not being that great because the, there was a couple oh, other really? uh, that, that kind of didn't do very well for investors afterwards. And uh, yeah, Ackman was like, no, 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 no. This isn't a SPAC. This is a Spark. Completely different. <laughs> Completely different. That's funny. It's like that Scooby-Doo meme where like, they lift the, lift the mask off yeah. and it's just a SPAC underneath. Hang on a second. <laughs> um, so, no, but it, it is slightly different to a SPAC, but it's pretty much the same. But instead of raising $4 billion, for example, and hoping to find a private company to buy... Uh, they would find a private company to buy first and then raise money. So at least the people investing in the SPAC or the Spark will kind of know which company um, they're right. going to ultimately invest in. Um, so that's kind of the, that's the major yeah. difference. Uh, it doesn't mean that the deal will be finished before they invest in it. It's just that the deal will kind of be announced. So they'll say, hey, this is the company we're targeting. This is how we're trying to raise money, what mm. we're raising money for. Um, yeah, there you go. And uh, yeah, so that why would uh, why would a company want to do a, a spark instead of an IPO? Well, when a company does an IPO, they basically have no as I kind of mentioned, they have no idea how much money they're going to be able to raise and at what valuation. They're kind of just guessing and hoping. Whereas in a spark, essentially, Bill Ackman will do some due diligence and he basically sets mm. the price. He basically says 
this is how much money they're going to raise and this is going to be the stock price. So it's kind of fixed in a way. It's like instead of letting right. the market okay. instead of letting the market value the company initially, Bill Ackman is going to value the company. <laughs> and and whether that's a good thing is whether you trust Bill Ackman's valuation process and his due diligence. Um so so there you right. go. Right, okay. There yeah. you go. So he's going to kind of find a, a, a company, line them up and say, oh, do his due diligence, think about what he might want to acquire them for. He's going to set up this spark and then he's going to go and get investors to raise that amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So he'll right. put, so he, he runs a, obviously he runs his big Pershing Square investment fund. So he'll put capital in himself. And then yep. uh, I believe the people first in line to be investors in this are all the people who initially invested in the SPAC from, from two years ago. He's, give, oh, he's okay. kind of giving them preference to get, you know, first in line for, for, this, new, um, for, this, right. new, for this new vehicle. Um, but the difference is that he's, he's figured it out already and he, he almost takes that to the investors to say, look, this is what I want to do. This is how much I want to pay. Uh, would would you like to be in? And then they go yes or no from there. Yeah. As yep. opposed to the other way around, which is like, hey, give me this amount of money and then I'll go and try and find something. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Makes sense. So I, Makes I guess sense. yeah, it's probably a little bit better. <laughs> it's still kind of, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's still, sure. it's still yeah. kind of an odd way to invest. Like I think I said this last time we were talking about the SPACs. You know, if if Warren Buffett did one of these, like that'd be pretty cool to be involved because it's like you're kind of giving money to a to an investor that you trust their process. I don't know if I'd trust Bill yeah. Ackman's process, but like if, if Warren Buffett would never do that, obviously. But if he did, then that's probably the only person yeah. I would I would actually be like, yeah, you know what? Take some money, find a deal um, and, mm. and and do it that way. But, um, but yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of uh, which company is going to be acquired, uh, we we don't know yet. Um, this has kind of just been newly announced. But uh, X.com, formerly Twitter, actually asked Ackman if they would consider them for the deal. So um, we may actually see uh, Mr. Elon Musk's uh, Twitter company uh, publicly traded again pretty soon. What? <laughs> yeah, how's that, for a, how's that for a plot twist? <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, so, so at this stage, mm. all that they've done is ask Ackman to look at it, and he said he he said on the interview um, with CNBC that he will consider the deal. But um, yeah, it'll it'll just depend whether they Ackman can raise enough money at a valuation that Elon Musk would be happy with, um, and and whether that actually makes sense. Whether Twitter or well, not Twitter X needs to actually do that. Um, wow. Yeah, that would be quite a plot twist to see them publicly traded again. But it would be kind of funny to see because then we'd be able to work out how badly Elon Musk, how much he overpaid. <laughs> yeah, like if they exactly. Go, they go public again for like fifteen billion dollars or something, <laughs> and he paid. That's so interesting. Billion. Does that just does that just tell us that Elon Musk kind of wants out of Twitter? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I guess the way it would happen would be is if they needed, if they really needed money, like um, if, yeah, if they had no other choice. Which yeah. I think they've been struggling for a little while to kind of keep the keep the boat of you know floating. Yeah, keep um, the boat afloat. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, so that's I, hectic. I guess that's the way it would happen. But yeah, so interesting because that kind of flies in the face of everything that Elon Musk wanted to do with Twitter. Like he wanted to 
yeah. get it off the public markets, not have to talk to, you know, do earnings calls and talk to shareholders all the time and, you know, not, you know, he could basically turn it into what he wanted to turn it into. You know, he could take a short-term hit on the advertising front while he built out other monetization things, whereas, you know, if he had it public, he would have to, you know, try and argue with shareholders that would be getting annoyed that their yeah. their stocks were getting their stock was getting less valuable. So that would be, I think, quite interesting if Twitter ended up getting uh, getting lumped into this spark because I think that would indicate that Mr. Elon Musk is kind of backtracking and one eightying the hell out of uh, out of his decision. Yeah. Hmm. But yes, yeah, what you what you say is 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 true. Yeah, hectic. Yeah. So there you go. That's what Bill Ackman's doing. He's um he's he's been cooking up cooking up a new product for us. <laughs> Good luck, Bill. So uh yeah, we'll, we'll see. Luck. We'll see what he finds. Maybe it's maybe it's x.com, yeah. maybe it's something else. Look, we we at the young investors, we'll we'll consider it. We'll consider it. Yeah, for oh. our fund. Oh, oh young yeah. investors fund. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll consider buying in. Yeah. Not sure yet. All right, Hamish, what should we talk about next? Uh, I don't know. What have what what you got? I'll go through Tesla deliveries. This is just oh, yeah. a quick one. Um, a couple of interesting points. Um, we didn't talk about this at the time. Did you see the new Model 3? No, I did not. No. There's a new Model 3. I've put a little, I've put a little picture in, in oh. here for you to... to Oh, wow. Browse your eyes over, yeah. So nice. while you have a look at that, I'll uh, I'll talk about the deliveries. So uh, in Q, what was it? Q three. In Q three, they had total production of four hundred and thirty thousand four hundred and eighty eight vehicles. Four hundred and thirty thousand vehicles, hectic, and deliveries of four hundred uh, and thirty five thousand. So roughly the same production and deliveries. How does that stack up versus last quarter? Last quarter they both produced and delivered more. So right. they've they've had a bit of a slowdown. So last quarter they produced 479,000 vehicles versus the 430,000 and uh, they delivered 466,000 versus the 435 that they just reported. So a bit of a slowdown in production and deliveries. However, mm. um Nothing to get too concerned about. People might be saying, oh, macroeconomic environment, look, luxury, oh, vehicles are slowing down. They did say that Q3 was going to be softer. And the main reason for that was that they were downing tools to do a whole bunch of fa- factory upgrades. So yeah. to okay. be expected, everybody, to be expected, because they were retooling the factories to build this new Model 3. Mm. The new version of the Model 3. It's obviously it's a slightly different car. It's got slightly different componentry and slightly different look. They need to update the factories to be able to produce the new version of the Model 3. So right. they put their tools down. They suffered a little bit, tinkered away, upgraded the factory, and uh, and now here we are. Wow. But yeah, interesting version of the Model 3. Yeah. Right. So, did yeah. they, so um, do they not think that any macro is involved in in the decline or oh, they they um they don't actually talk uh in depth on oh, the okay. delivery they literally just in in this this because it's straight after the end of the quarter i'm sure mm. they will talk about that uh, when they do their earnings but for yep. this uh release it's literally just these this is our production this is our vehicle deliveries and yep. then after after that it's just all other people's analysis and opinion mm, um okay, okay so yeah they have they haven't actually spoken about that yet gotcha, gotcha, but, gotcha. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, cool. we, we shall see. There you go. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, don't want to hang on this for too long. Um, there's not really that much to talk about. Um, other than if you haven't seen the new version of the Model 3, go and have a look because uh, I, reckon it looks, I reckon it looks better. Like I've got one of the old Model 3s, mm. the 2021s, with the more bubbly looking um, Porsche-esque kind of headlights. But um, I actually mm. quite like this new version. The front end of this version, I think, looks better than my car. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm a fan. Of, I, I like how the Model Three looks. I, I think. I think both of them look pretty good. Um, yeah. I don't know. They're, they're, they're reasonably good. I'm like. I'm like. It's all subjective, isn't it? Yeah, I'm like super picky when it comes to like how cars look. Um, I yeah, know. Like, I I'm know like, you are. I just. I. I hate how most cars look. <laughs> uh, Do you? But I. I think they've done. I think I've done a good job. Yeah. I like. Good. I like older cars. I, I like boxier cars. Like I hated how cars evolved to be like all really like smooth edges and everything that, that I just don't like. They, right. Okay. I, I've said this before. I've said it again. When electric car companies start making cars like in sixties and eighties design, but with tech inside of them, they will make so much money. It's not funny. Mm. Like make like a Ford must like a 1969 Ford Mustang. That's like electric and has like, Apple AirPlay in it and everything. Yeah. And that that'd would be sell sick. Like hotcakes. It will actually. And uh, uh, oh, the other thing I forgot to mention, Hamish, is that they've recently, Tesla have recently redesigned the Model S as well. Oh, okay. I've yep. just put in, I've put in a, a new photo of the Model S. What do you think of that? I, I see nothing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you can't see it. No, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. Like that? that is, be- that's exactly what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> That's I've great. just posted in. Uh, uh, do you know what model that is? Uh, Porsche. Know, Hamish is a big Porsche fan. Is yeah, it a GT3? I, I have no idea. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I got no idea. But there you mm. go. Yeah, you, you would love it if the Model S looked like a Porsche. Yeah, maybe one day. Maybe would one you get the Taycan or Taycan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be the, pretty cool. If it wasn't EV, insanely expensive, the Porsche EV. Yeah, if it wasn't just a money pit, then yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What's What's your favorite Porsche model? Um, I like a Carrera S or just a Carrera. Carrera. Yeah, there's just that's just their classic um 911. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, very nice. All right, cool. Moving on, Hamish. Mm. Let's talk about Sam Bankman-Fried before we end up talking about cars for the whole rest of the podcast. Yes, <laughs> let's uh let, let, <laughs> let's uh let's talk about Mr. SBF. I'm gonna be care- I'm gonna I'm gonna do this again. I'm gonna call it um. What's the what's the other abbreviation that we've been using? Silicon SVB. Oh, uh, SV, SVB. Yeah, SVB. Yeah, Silicon I Valley Bank. So so confusing to SBF. Um, yeah. So founder of uh, FTX. SBF so many, of FTX. So many, so many abbreviations. <laughs> so bad. Founder of FTX, cryptocurrency exchange, which um, of course collapsed last year in um, pretty um, pretty fantastic fashion, uh, is facing <laughs> his uh, his criminal trial. Um, which is actually kind of interesting. They they turned that around pretty quick for him. Um, it's been mm-hmm. like a, it was it was last year, right? It was like the end yeah, of yeah, last yeah. year, I think. Whereas then you mm-hmm. had like Elizabeth yeah. Holmes, who took like a, like almost a decade from when um, when the company collapsed to actually get charged. So they've uh, they've they've got him on trial. Um, he's been charged with uh, seven total counts, um, including securities fraud, wire fraud, and conspiracy to launder money. And kind of at the heart of this. As some of you might remember, is he's basically accused of co-mingling funds with another company that he owned, Alameda Research, 
uh, which was this kind of investment crypto fund that um, that he says he wasn't running, that he kind of palmed off to some of his um, his, his friends to run. Um, mm. But that fund ultimately lost billions of dollars and it was found that there was commingling of funds and people who just thought they had money uh, deposited in FTX just in an exchange with, um, you know, no risk basically uh, lost all of their money. Um, there's likely to be kind of less emphasis on whether the commingling actually happened. It's pretty defined that it, it did happen, but more about whether he did it <laughs> intentionally or by mistake. That's kind of the whole, um, oh, okay. the whole story around whether he actually committed fraud. Did he just accidentally allow funds to be used in a manner that he promised he wouldn't? <laughs> Was it just an accident? He, you know, like he claimed, did he just mislabel accounts and that sort of thing? Was it just poor account? Right. Was it just a mistake? Which, um, you know, was he just a, you know, he, he just, he just made a bunch of mistakes running the business mm. or did he purposefully move FTX customer deposits to make trades, to make money for his own personal benefit? That's yeah. really where this trial will sit. And that's going to be a and that's what, um, sorry, that's what all these fraud cases come down to, like Elizabeth Holmes as well. It's like, what's the intention? Yeah. It's like, yeah, sure, you can you can have a dumb moment, you can do bad things, and you still get punished. Yes. But what's more important um, is is what was your intent. Yeah. If your intent was, you know, malicious, then the punishment will be worse than if the intent was, or if yeah. there was no intent to be malicious and you just had a bad moment, you had yeah. a, you did something dumb, you still get punished, obviously. But um, yeah, mm. what is the intent? What was Sam Bankman-Fried's intent? Anyway, sorry, yeah. Hamish. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. That's the that's the most important point when it comes to these criminal fraud charges because the consequences are pretty high. There's you know potentially decades of prison on the line. Um, so they, that's what they have to prove. So anyway, so this trial started a couple of days ago. Um, day one was all about kind of finalizing the jury. Um, and there was kind of some funny moments that came up. So they basically had 50 jurors who made it through questioning by the judge. The judge kind of sits down and, and questions them in front of both of the, uh, the, the teams. And then from those 50, <clears throat> 18 jurors are selected, 12 which are on the jury, and six uh, alternatives, uh, in case some of the jurors have to leave for be excused for, for some reason. And then basically how do those 18 jurors get selected? Well, the prosecutor and the defense both get certain, they get to kind of pick, um, from the pool. And then they also get a number of vetoes so they can, if, if the prosecutor picks a person to be on the jury, then the defense can kind of veto that person. It's kind of like picking football teams. Like, <laughs> and it's pretty right. important because you get, such a wide variety of potential people on the jury. And it doesn't have to be a unanimous decision. This isn't a murder trial. So um, seven out of 12 saying, yes, he did it, will will decide it. So it's seven individual people that they're picking. So right. you, you know how these people are involved in crypto or not and what they understand and what they don't understand can make a big difference in ultimately how this case is decided. Um, and uh, so... You, the judge has to kind of question all of the, the jurors uh, pretty in intensely. Um, quite a few of the potential, the 50 jurors said that they had followed the FTX case closely. Um, some said that they'd been reading Wall Street Journal. Um, others said that uh, they kind of watched this 60-minute um, interview with Sam Bankman-Fried in it. Um, so some had said that they'd actually been following the case, and that kind of makes a difference. Um, some said that, uh, they had a loved one who invested in crypto. There was actually, uh, one man who told the judge that his brother was nearly financially ruined by bad investments in crypto. 
So um, we don't know. I don't actually know if that guy's on the jury or not, but I can pretty confidently say that defense probably vetoed that guy. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it probably pretty likely that the prosecution was like, yep, get the guy who got financially ruined by cryptocurrency on the jury. And then the defense was probably like, yeah, let's not have that guy. So that's kind of, yeah, I mean, that's like the stakes that are, that are, you know, here. I mean, you, you could get some people on there that have, um, that have, that have been very affected by either FTX, well, not FTX directly. Um, because that would be a conflict, but by crypto in some negative capacity and have some negative yep. feelings towards um, SPF. Um, uh, another juror said that uh, they had concerns because they didn't uh, understand crypto, even after their son tried to explain the concept to them. <laughs> and that's the other thing. It's like the jury are just people from the public. So there's no yeah. you know, necessity to actually understand what is happening, like how the, all of this works. And that's, you know, the role of the two parties to kind of, uh, try and help the jury understand what is happening. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah, so that very was, interesting. So that was, that was day one. Uh, day two, the jury was finalized and they both kind of gave opening statements. Um, uh, Thane Wren, the assistant uh, U.S. attorney um, of the South District of New York, gave a statement. Um, he was quoted saying, he had wealth, he had power, he had influence, uh, but all of that, all of that was built on lies um, part of the defense's uh, opening statement said, uh, Sam didn't defraud anyone. Sam did not steal from anyone. He did not intend to steal from anyone. Um, so that's kind of moments of the, uh, what they would say. That is exactly what you would say. Yeah. If you were defending <laughs> someone on trial for fraud, <laughs> he didn't commit it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, the only thing I wish is more of these trials were like recorded because then we could get the full picture of what was happening in the court, but we kind of only get statements from journalists that are kind of just writing down notes, unfortunately. Um, but from here, uh, witnesses are going to be and have been testifying um, over this uh, over the last couple of days um, for the prosecution. There was a commodities trader who lost $100,000 in FTX who testified. Uh, Sam's old roommate from college uh, who worked with Sam and then resigned when he found out that Alameda was using FTX's deposits. Um, he, he's going to testify. And then probably the the star witness is going to be uh, Sam's former girlfriend, Caroline Allison, uh, will testify. Uh, she was running Alameda Research, but claims that she was being directed by Sam, um, which is kind of one of the big contentions is, was Sam running both of the firms or was he keeping um, his kind of fingers out of Alameda Research and only running FTX? So there you go. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> pretty much all we know. We shall see. We yeah. shall see. Yeah. Honestly, I don't like it. I don't know how this is going to play out but i'm very very interested to see what happens yeah very very interested <clears throat> yeah mm. yeah i, I don't know so, some, like some people might find it boring but i i find it interesting going into the weeds of some of yeah. this stuff yeah and it's yeah just so interesting just watching the whole crypto verse just fall apart over the last couple of years yeah and yeah just the amount of fraud and deception that we've seen uncovered is just bonkers but we can't say that yet because we'll have to wait until the end. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Yeah, alleged alleged fraud. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, Hamish, is that all we got on SBF? That's it. SVB. That's it. <laughs> SVB. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Uh, all right, I'm going to quickly fly through this meta subscription service and then we'll do one Q&A question and get out of here. Yeah. This is a quick one. Uh, I just saw this uh, this pop up. Meta is considering charging its European users nearly $14 a month for an ad-free version of Instagram if they do not agree to let the company use their <clears throat> personal data for targeted ads, according <laughs> to a report of the... Imagine that. You, you, yeah, you're opting out of personalized ads and then you get another pop-up saying, okay, now that you've opted out, it now costs $14 a month. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, interesting. That's essentially what, I think that's essentially what they're trying to do. Yeah. The proposal, which would cost users around $14 a month on mobile devices and as much as $17 a month on desktop is Meta's attempt to navigate strict privacy rules in the EU. The rules will require Meta to get users' consent in order to show them targeted ads, which would likely have an adverse impact on the company's advertising revenue. That's what we've seen. That's the that's the trend, isn't it? That's the trend at the moment. Is that you you can now opt out, or, yeah. or you have to opt in for personalized uh, personalized ads. Yeah. Um, Meta has spoken with digital competition regulators in Brussels, privacy regulators in Ireland, and other EU privacy regulators about its proposal, according to the report. The company has reportedly named the plan Subscription No Ads, or SNA, and it wants to start rolling it out uh, in the coming months. It is not clear whether regulators believe Meta's proposal is is a sufficient workaround, according to the report, and they may ask the company to propose a cheaper offering. Mm. Quote, Meta believes in the value of free services which are supported by personalized ads. However, we continue to explore options to ensure we comply with evolving regulatory requirements. We have nothing further to share at this time, a Meta spokesperson told CNBC on Tuesday. So there you go. They could be, uh, they could be making it. Um, making Meta and or Instagram quite expensive if you yeah. choose not to accept personalized ads. Yeah, well, it was um, so. kind of an insane rule that they use pushing through to say that uh, not only do you have to ask customers if about personalized ads, but they said you have to offer EU users a version of Instagram or Facebook that doesn't have personalized ads, which is their entire business model. So that's why they have to offer. They're hoping that this is good enough that they can say, well, here's a version without personalized ads, but it's going to cost you. Um, mm. If that's not good enough, that's just an insane law. Like um, that's just ridiculous because that is their business model. Um, yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> you can't force a business to provide a service. We will crush you. Yeah, them. you you can't charge a subscription and you can't run ads. It's like, well, then it's not a business. <laughs> yeah, it, it was kind of crazy. We spoke about this, I think, a few months ago when this 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 law kind of maybe at the beginning of the year um, when this kind of law went took took place. But it is. It's kind of an insane law when you really think about it, because no one's really forcing you to use Facebook or Instagram. It's like you're—that's really you opting in. It's like you—you want to be on these platforms. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do like the idea that you could pay for no ads, like YouTube Premium, for example, is kind of the same thing. I think that makes yep. sense, but um, but yeah, I don't know. Mo- I think most people are not too mad about getting some personalized ads. I don't know. No. If anything, I prefer it because it means the ads that I inevitably see have some sort of relevance to who I am. I'm yeah. not just seeing just random garbage yeah. that I don't care about. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like there was a time where I was getting ads for a device that girls wear around their waist to help them with period pain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like- Yeah, I get those ads too. Do you? 
Yeah. I don't like I think I think cuz like why, I think why am I seeing this? Yeah, but I think they're like I think they're like targeting like men to get it for your girlfriend. I think that's like the 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 Oh, they're targeting the boy. All right, yeah. okay. Cuz yeah. I just saw that and I was like <laughs> what? <laughs> like why why are you targeting it? That makes more sense. Yeah. I was like that is I'm never going to buy that in a million years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why? Because I don't get period pain. <laughs> Surprise, surprise. Anyway, uh, but no, that does make sense to yeah, tug, yeah. tug at the boyfriends. And we'd be like, here you are. Oh, you got me hard works. Yeah, exactly. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. fantastic. Um, good luck, Meta. Um, hopefully the EU comes to their senses. All right, should we do yeah. one Q&A question and then bounce? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's do Yeah, let's, let's do, do Also, if you have a Q&A question, head to the most recent version of the podcast over on YouTube and drop us a comment and we will chuck it in for a future episode. You can also ask in the Spotify question box. All right. Um, do you actually need amazing management if you first and foremost look for businesses, as Warren and Charlie would say, can be run by idiots? Oh, yeah, that's a good question, actually. Um, I would say, yes, you definitely need good management because in order for you to get a good return, you need a great business and you need that business to be run by great managers um, because yeah. the great managers will get the most out of the good business. Um, so that's that's really, really important. Fundamental pillar is to have a great business with competitive advantage and to have great management that run with skill and integrity. Um that's really uh, that's really paramount. You do want both. It is very handy, however, if you do have that business that can be run by an idiot. You don't want it to be run by an idiot, but yeah. that it could be run by an idiot because eventually, as Warren Buffett says, eventually it will be run by an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can have a business model that will just by itself hold up okay um, if it's run by a poor manager, that is a very nice cushion to have because eventually people will find out that this is a bad manager. They'll get rid of him and get someone else in, but the company will probably survive because it's a robust business model. But yeah. um, it, it it is definitely a requirement to have a great business and it be run by a great manager because a good business run by a poor manager will probably, it might survive, but it probably won't make you any money. It yeah. just won't go bust. But really you want a great manager to get the most out of a good business. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anything I could add to that. That's just that's pretty much no. that. That's pretty much I it. Just yeah. wanted to tear um, there. I was just ooh, yeah, I was yeah. on it there. Yeah, you're right. The, <laughs> the end of that quote is can be run by idiots because one day it probably will be. Especially if you're owning a company for a very long period of time, there's likely going to be changes in management. So yeah, I think assessing management is important. But um, but but yeah, if if the company can be run by an idiot, then it's just another layer of protection. If you make a mistake with with management, then you're less likely to be affected. If management changes and then the new guy who comes in isn't as good, um, then you're less likely to be affected. It's just kind of an, a protective layer, but yeah, ma- having that solid management on top is certainly an important element. Mm. Yep. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys, that will just about wrap things up for today. Keep sending in your questions. Sorry, we we, we always think that, oh, we're going to get to a few more questions today yeah. and then we just... <laughs> I don't know. Where does the time go? It goes so quickly. Yeah, maybe we ramble. (laughs) But anyway, guys, thanks very much for tuning in as always. uh, Yeah, keep sending any questions, any content ideas, anything like that. Just let us know. Um, Thanks always to Seeking Alpha for sponsoring the podcast. Um, Thanks, Hamish, for joining me as always. Hope you have a good week, mate. Hope you stay stay amongst the living. (laughs) (laughs) Stay stay happy. Stay healthy. That's the most important thing. That's great. (laughs) 
Did you like that one? I can't remember where I heard that from, but I love it. Yeah. Stay amongst the living. Anyway, um, yes, stay healthy, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. See you guys. Thank you.